Hello and welcome to the Let's Not Panic podcast. We're two practical people chronicling a pretty impractical trip from San Francisco to Patagonia and back again. We're trying not to panic. If you're just joining us, I'm Maggie. And I'm Adam. And we're a married couple who've quit our jobs, given up our lease, and hit the road in a Toyota 4Runner that's now our home. And we're now done with a very special part of the road, the Carretera Austral. Mm-hmm. We have cleared, actually, we've cleared Chile completely. Yeah, so this is going to be our Chile roundup episode. Indeed, indeed. But right now we're actually in Bariloche in Argentina. And we should give a little bit of a, a warning in advance. We're swarmed here. Like we're surrounded by, what do you call them? A murder? A murder of hawks, which is a pretty cool bird to be surrounded by. By the way, speaking of uh, that kind of thing, it's definitely not a murder of hawks. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. it's a murder of crows. But one of our listeners let us know that we referred to them as flocks of flamingos. Uh-huh. And that is incorrect. They are colonies of flamingos. Even if there's just three, when does it become a colony? You know, I didn't ask any follow-up questions because I'm not a jerk. Shame on you, Maggie. (laughs) Shame on you. But we're all done with Chile, and that included finishing up the super scenic Carretera Austral. Mm -hmm. Indeed. It was a great drive. It was. Although, right before we started recording, Adam and I were like, wait, what happened this last week? And we were having the hardest time remembering all the places we had camped. We camped so many nights in a row that they kind of blended together. Yeah. We had a campsite where we were in a very muddy, it was like a campground, but no one was there. So it was like a deserted campground, haunted. No one, no one. Was I wouldn't say that it was haunted, it. but I would say that between one and three people were murdered there. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's probably a good estimate. Um, I, one thing w- for sure is that it was swarmed with spiders, which is a fact I didn't want to mention to you. I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not like that kind of fragile. You're right. I'm not. You're more. I'm, I'm more afraid. Yeah. But I'm not that afraid of spiders either. Like if there's a spider. I was finding them in my hair all day long and I was chill as fuck about it. I don't think that would be true if it was happening to you. If there's a spider, I'll kill it. You know, like I'll, I'll get it taken care of. But I was actually pretty impressed when Maggie was like, don't kill that spider. I'll get it in a cup and a piece of paper and I'll bring it outside. It was like, that's a lot of spider handling and spider wrangling. It's really not. I, I just like, <laughs> I just kill him. Anyway, uh, so we finished the Carretera Austral. It was beautiful, but uneventful. So we're really going to focus this episode on our Chile final thoughts roundup. Which finale. Yeah. Explosion. Yeah, and I think some of our final thoughts about the Carretera Austral get wrapped into that yeah, because totally. it, it just totally works out that way. Yeah. So um, what did you think, Maggie? Thumbs I up? I liked it. <laughs> so what I thought the way that we could organize this so that we're not just like talking out blabbering. Of our, talking out of our butts. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so first, I would like to know, Adam, what is your top recommendation for somebody going to Chile? What's the one thing that we saw that you're like, well, don't miss this? Ooh, yeah. are they flying here and doing a backpacking yeah, trip? Yeah, exactly. They're well, they're flying here. They're flying. Yeah, that's all you know. And you're going to make a recommendation for the one thing. If you had to choose one thing they absolutely cannot miss, what would it be? That's a hard one. Mm-hmm. I would probably say Santiago. Because, really? Well, I mean, it's a, it, I'm, it's a city of the world, as mm-hmm. I like to say, clearly. Uh-huh. It's a very big city. It's got a lot going for it. But I wouldn't say, like, go to Chile and only go to Santiago unless you're going on, like, a three- or four-day trip, right? Yeah. I wouldn't want to just spend only a week in Santiago. I'd say 
region-wise, mm-hmm. the very southernmost region, where you're getting down into like Tierra del Fuego or Patagonia. Torres del Paine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the whole Patagonia. Well, Patagonia is huge, yeah. right? Like the, It doesn't really describe. But that southern area, yeah. Punta Arenas and yeah. such, yeah, I, I really like that. So wait, Santiago or Patagonia? One, are you, what are you saying? Like one thing? Yes, I you got to <laughs> choose one thing. This is feet to the fire. This is high pressure. This is very serious. I guess Santiago, but okay. I, I'd really want to say like Torres del Paine and surround, surrounding area. You're cheating. You can't know. <laughs> okay. You're saying Santiago. Santiago. <laughs> Maggie, what's your pick? Mine would be Torres del Paine. Oh, I feel okay. like it was the most beautiful part of Chile that we visited. I think that it's really accessible. And if you were going to just go to one place that was satisfying and where you could spend a whole week, mm-hmm. I would recommend Torres del Paine. Yeah. But it, they're kind of different trips, right? Like that's very, very naturey, very mm-hmm. cold, cold, and like <laughs> it, more adventurous. Yeah, if you're in for like, well, it, unless you're willing to break the bank and do like a glamping visit, like that's basically what we did with my mom. Right, but you I know? mean, for most people, they're not going to glamp it. They're gonna. Well, I, I don't know what most people do, but yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like that's why I would choose Torres del Paine because you can do it as a backpacker. You can do it on a dime. You can also do well. That's not true. It's all expensive. But um, you could also go like super luxury high high end, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you'd get to see this beautiful scenery, glaciers, pumas, explosions. Anyway, yep. Um, what were your favorite two moments of our time in Chile? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't vet these by Adam before we yeah. started recording. <laughs> really catching me off guard here. I know. I like it. Um, I have no idea how to answer that question, and I'm mm-hmm. not going to. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you're the worst interview ever. No, no. Ever. Let, me, let me think of it. Yeah. Answers. I, I got nothing. Okay. What, what, what's yours? Mine would be um, one of them was running into my mom on the street in... Puerto Natales. Uh-huh. We knew we, she was coming. Obviously, it wasn't like, "What are you doing in Chile?" But <laughs> it was <laughs> that would be a hell of a thing. Yeah, but it was still. I just wasn't ready to see her, and we'd been gone for so long, and it was just so exciting to run like bodily into a family member in a place where I wasn't expecting them, yeah. and especially in a place that was so beautiful. And we ended up having such a great trip. So that was one, and the other one may have been. Right when we first entered Chile after Bolivia, which we loved and had such a great experience there, but immediately transitioning onto a road that was like incredibly well engineered. Yeah. That was a very relieving moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, look at that pavement. Whew. Right. When we crossed from Bolivia. Yeah, yeah. 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 So those are my top two Chile moments. Just welcome to infrastructure. Welcome to infrastructure. Here's your mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mine would be um one of them's definitely the puma that mm-hmm. we saw in Torres del Paine. That's a really good one. Um just getting to watch a mother with two cubs ripping apart a carcass. Yeah. Is right up my alley. Uh yeah, of course. For all all the reasons including the carcass. <laughs> up to and including the carcass. Yeah, my dad asked what Wanaco meat tastes like. Oh, that's a good question. It is a good question. We don't know. We'll have to direct that question to the pumas. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I have to think about that. Mm -hmm. I have to dream about that. (laughs) And then my second one would probably be camping in uh, Tierra del Fuego, on Uh Tierra del Fuego, on the Chilean side. Mm -hmm. It's very, very desolate. And we were able to find like a really beautiful 
spot at the very southernmost point mm. when we were in that like mm-hmm. big wide open area yeah. with the mountains and the river surrounding us where the beavers scared the shit out of us. Yeah, yeah. Night. That may or may not have also been a murderer. We don't know. I don't know if murderers just like kind of get close to your camp and throw rocks into the river <laughs> and then just do nothing else. Like, I don't know if you call that a murderer. <laughs> Whoa. They're murdering my peace Riv- of mind. Maybe they're murdering like salamanders or something in the river. <laughs> Anyway. Um, yeah, that would be my second pick. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then it's time for our very scientific ratings, of which we should each have three. Yeah, I've so got a few. I'll start us off. I would give 14 out of 19 king crab parmesan stews. <laughs> Uh, 14 of those out of 19 king crab parmesan stews for the overall food experience in Chile. My favorite dish that we found there being king crab parmesan stews, which was <laughs> basically just parmesan soup with king crab. And some cream in there, I think. And like hella cream yeah. and butter. It's like a double punch of dairy oh, it's so and good. some crab. It was really good. Yeah, you got varying levels of quality in that too yeah like i had one that was like the craft macaroni and cheese <laughs> yeah. quality version and i still fucking loved it yeah yeah it was really good mm. um but i would give it 14 out of 19 king crab yeah parmesan stews yeah you really do like the crab mm-hmm. but only 14 out of 19 it's good food <laughs> what does uh chile have to do to get the last five king crab parmesan stews in your rating um I think a little more variety would help. In the stews. We're talking just the stews? or No, this is all cuisine oh, all that we've cuisine. had in okay. Chile. I got you. Um, a little bit more variety would help. Um, and maybe more vegetables. Not maybe. Definitely more vegetables. It was a pretty... For a country with like incredibly strong infrastructure, just not a lot of vegetable availability mm-hmm. outside of Santiago. Yeah, the northern and central parts definitely. In the south, it got a little scarce it was mostly carrots yeah we've gotten really good at cooking carrots <laughs> in a variety of different ways and just one way in butter yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's be real okay what's um, your first rating i give three subtly well-designed roads which afford safer and faster driving to everyone involved out of three subtly well-designed roads which afford safer <laughs> and faster <laughs> driving to everyone involved for chile's highway engineering like I'd you have, mentioned yeah it's a weird thing that it finally has clicked for me, but like highway engineering, road engineering really does make a difference and mm-hmm. you don't notice it mm-hmm. until you don't have it for a really long time. And then when I got to Chile, I was like, what is going on? Is everyone just a better driver? Like all the traffic's flowing better and like the, it's just mm-hmm. seems safer and everything. No, it's just, I, I figured it out. Like the roads are slanted in the right way. There's enough yeah. space. You can tell there are like subtle cues for when the road is going to become too windy and you need to slow down. Yeah. That you just have subconsciously tuned into being used to driving in the United States. Yeah. And when once we were in Colombia and Peru and Bolivia, Man, if those roads started, especially were just. Ooh. Yeah. If we'd started this trip here mm-hmm. and then had to end in Colombia. Right. It kind of would have made more sense in a lot of ways because we would have had more time to adjust. It would have been easier, I think, culturally to mm-hmm. adjust and mm-hmm. easier to adjust to the driving and yeah. just like the difficulty of accomplishing things is a lot lower here in Chile. The infrastructure mm-hmm. is a lot better. The bureaucracy makes a lot more sense. Yeah. But to us, yeah. 
I would say that the language would have been a lot harder. Definitely. Because there's a lot of words that are used only in Chile that are not used anywhere else. Right. And there's they talk very fast, yes. as everyone says. Yeah, um, yeah. So given that we got to kind of go from like the Caribbean style, which is a little bit slower and in, in like the southern, kind of the equivalent of like a southern accent for English. Yeah. Um, we at least got to adjust, I think, yeah. coming south. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, Maggie, what's your second rating? I would give 78 out of uh, 78 honking king penguins out of 79 honking king penguins <laughs> for wildlife sightings that we've had in Chile. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, that's it includes, true. I mean, but it, like the only reason it's not 100% is because we also went to the Galapagos. And it's like, okay, there's the standard. Yeah, but is there anything that you could have spotted here that you just didn't? Yeah, I, there's I that endangered here, kind of deer that we didn't see. Uh, well, yeah, Wilcos or something. I don't, I don't think they're called Wilcos, but well, oh, <laughs> oh, way, way, something. Yeah, way less. Those, although I wasn't terribly interested in them, we yeah. did see pumas, foxes, hawks, all kinds of birds, condors. including condors, flamingos. King penguins, as mentioned from the rating. I didn't realize Chile had such an incredible, diverse, and like rich animal population here, which is obviously my jam for like any country we go to. So yeah. I want to see some aminals. <laughs> so I was about it. Yeah. 78 out of 79 honking king penguins for wildlife in Chile. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, I give. 12 unnecessarily complicated ways of phrasing things out of 17 for Unne- language. Unnecessarily complicated ways of phrasing things. We say while well, we do our incredibly convoluted <laughs> rating system. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Yes. Uh, but in general, uh, there's like one surprise and another surprise. I knew going into Chile that everyone talks a lot faster. That wasn't such a problem. Mm-hmm. What was a problem was that a lot of things use different words and they're, they seem, it's a little bit surprising. Like, why are you using that word? Uh, my, yeah. The biggest example I have is like, they don't call it the police, policia. They call it uh, carabineros. And it's like, really? Police is a really As a word universal that you word. Potentially need to yell in a safe <laughs> like for right. safety. Why I'm not sure why syllables. you'd make it longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it, but in general, like the language, I, I wasn't, it wasn't as hard to deal with the speed as I thought. Maybe yeah. it's just because we've been he- doing Spanish for a while now. It's harder to eavesdrop, but it's not harder to understand. Yeah, like when, understand when you're in a conversation, conversation. Peop- the you know Chileans will pick up on like, oh, you speak very slowly. I will yeah. speak slowly to <laughs> yeah. you too. Like it, it works out to like get yeah. things done. Well, I think well. most people in the world are sensitive to like, oh, this isn't your first language. Right. Let me try again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, your, your next one, Maggie? Yeah. My last one would be 4.792. I don't know if we do points. Pablo Neruda's pipes from his vast pipe collection out of five Pablo Neruda's pipes from his vast pipe collection (laughs) for the variety of attractions available in Chile. Uh. So there's like the desert. There are both of Pablo Neruda's houses. We only went to one. Valparaiso itself was beautiful with all the street art and all the beautifully colored houses and everything. 
Um, Isla Negro is beautiful for being like a breezy beach town. Yeah, that was really cool. And obviously Patagonia and the Carretera Austral with like turquoise glacial water and... Beautiful forests. Yeah, beautiful mountains, glaciers, vistas. Like it it had a lot to offer. So I give it a very high... I forget what decimal point I made up. I think it was 4.692 or something. Well, you kind of, that's my next rating too, actually. So oh, I, I, have really? a, I have a bonus one that I'll just make my third one. But my okay. other rating that you just supplanted, I was going to say 36 degrees latitude out of 36 degrees latitude for varied landscapes. True. Because true. Chile spans 36 degrees of latitude. Did you know that, Maggie? I didn't. And I would make fun of you for being nerdy, but I'm actually kind of delighted by that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it goes hand in hand with what Maggie just said. It's, there's everything here. There's a beautiful desert. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful mountains because it's mm-hmm. right on the Andes. Mm-hmm. And there's amazing, like the fjords and the islands that we just drove through on the Carretera Austral. And beautiful tall trees. Yep. And it's everything. amazing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, my substitution rating mm-hmm. is less positive, I guess. <laughs> We're going to uh, end this on a positive note. Two mustard bottles unnecessarily containing gluten out of four mustard bottles unnecessarily containing gluten. For gluten-free food availability. Why? Okay, I see your point. Why is there gluten in the mustard and the mayo and most of the ketchup? It was the mayo that got me where I was like, but what even would it be? <sighs> yeah, why yeah. is there it just, flour? It's just Arena de Trigo. It's just yeah. flour. Yeah, right? I know, but why? Yeah, why? That's that, right. one, that one, mustard I get. Because mustard even, like, you have to check all mustards to Ma- see if there's And I safe. think, Maggie, you said something yesterday that ma- that goes along with this. Mm-hmm. Um just the fact also that we had to bounce around between Argentina and Chile yes. makes that contrast a lot more stark because Argentina is bonkers for gluten awareness. Like yeah. waiters will just be like, Oh, is that apt for celiacs? Like they'll yeah. they'll just go back in the room and like check the package and be like It's mandatory on all the packaging to put it there or yeah. something. Well because no, there's a uh, huge amount of awareness. The packaging there's a list of ingredients just like in the US and mm-hmm. you can check the ingredients and reason about okay, there's no gluten in it, obviously. But some products include a little insignia also that's like syntac, I forget what tax stands yeah. for, but it just means gluten. Um and They'll actually go and they know to go check for that insignia and they'll come back sometimes and be like, you know, the ingredients don't contain any uh, gluten, but it doesn't have the insignia, just so you know. And so it's like, it's a very, they're very hip to it. You accidentally segued into the next segment I wanted to do, which was the noticeable differences between Chile and Argentina, because we've been bouncing back and forth between the two in Patagonia so much. Mm -hmm. And the differences can be stark. Yeah. Well, there you go. I, I'm a great segueer. I think you you kind of covered it with the gluten, so we don't need to talk about that anymore. Oh, was that one of your your topics? <laughs> no, but um, it wasn't going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the ones was meat preparation. Yeah. Changes vastly between the two, and it's amazing how close two cities can be together and have completely different methods and ideas about how food would work yeah it's interesting because obviously they're working with a similar climate and Mm -hmm. type of livestock so Um, like really lamb heavy yeah lots of lamb which i'm not going to complain about that nobody's saying feed us less lamb yeah (laughs) nobody's saying that and adam and i are both people who prefer the dark meat on a chicken and a piece of meat that's like pretty rare like i like a raw piece of beef. That's just a fact. Like mm-hmm. I love tartare. My favorite Ethiopian dishes with raw beef. I like it really like 
just barely qualified as cooked. Um, so I prefer the Argentinian style because it leans more toward rare, mm-hmm. you know, a little pink in the meat, a little juicier. Um, but if you're the kind of person who prefers like the breast meat on a chicken and the um, like a well done steak, of there's lots of people who I know like that. Yeah. Um, the Chilean style would probably be more your jam. Like it's just like a little bit more well done. Yeah, they have pareas in Chile, mm-hmm. and so you can definitely find great meat. Like, it's prepared very mm-hmm. well. But I think just the bar is a lot higher in Argentina because they have this long-standing, like, pareja culture. Yeah. And it's, like, something they pride themselves on very very much. Yeah. So you can typically find in a lot of cities just a, a really high level of, like, this is great barbecue, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's like one of the differences. Also that there's never provoletta, which is that barbecued cheese yeah. that we enjoy so much ever available anywhere in Chile. Yeah. That we went. If they had like, more But it's provoletta. right next door. Yeah. Just get some from next door, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's one of them. I would also say that culturally um, there's some differences like in the net personality. Do you know what I mean? Between Argentin- the two countries. Argentina and uh, Chile. Yeah. Like, Argentina is, like, more Italian. (laughs) Really? Like, you can, like, feel the Italian uh, influence there. Like, it's talking with your hands and, like, opinions and, you know, louder, chattier. And Chile is, like, a little bit more reserved and, like, reminds me a lot of California where it's, like, it's chill. Everyone's nice. No one's yelling. Like, (laughs) yeah. do you know what I mean? I think it's true. An Argentinian person would be a lot more likely to be, like, this is what I think. What do you what do you think? Yeah. Do you agree with me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just in your face. Like, yeah, there's boom. a lot more, I feel like, discussion of opinions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was interesting, especially because again, these borders are like so porous and they're right next door to one another. So yeah. it was amazing to me that the differences could be so immediate and stark. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna do something a little different this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because I keep getting made fun of for disliking Adam's technical corner. Yeah. So this week... Which is not acceptable. It's going to be Maggie's technical corner. Boom. Take it over, Maggie. Mine's (laughs) exploding everywhere. (laughs) And I thought I would address the differences between overlanding and off-roading. Okay. Like, I'm not here to start any fights. I'm just saying that's a... I know. It's a touchy subject. That's... So, But it (laughs) it is a thing that I never thought I would give a shit about the distinction between that I have become, like, a little sassy about. You should see her right now. She's making hand gestures. I know. And she's like I got opinions. My finger is up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, what we do uh, is definitely overlanding. We... <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Okay, no, I would say it's, like, squares and rectangles. Okay. All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. So, which way does that go? So... Off-roading is the square, and overlanding is the rectangle. Overlanding is a more flexible term that can refer to off-roading, but off-roading is a specific, really precise, different thing. Uh, Does that make sense? Kind of, but I wouldn't say that all overlanding is off-roading, and that's kind of what you just said. No, no, no. Not all rectangles are squares. Not all. But all squares are rectangles. So not all Overlanders mm-hmm. are off-roaders. Are off-roaders. 
but all off-roaders are overlanders? Are kind of overlanders, but it's a specific thing. So let me keep going. I see. (laughs) We got kind of bogged down with some geometry there, but... So off-roading is definitely what we do. We modified a car with some really simple changes. Like we have an extra battery. We put a rear bumper on the car. I don't know how simple that was, but all right. Compared to... (laughs) I'm just kidding. um, You know, we improved the brake pads so that the car could carry more weight dependably. Mm -hmm. We put on a rooftop tent. Mm -hmm. All in all, our mods came to under $10,000, right? Uh, well, the rooftop tent itself cost about six thousand. Oh, just kidding. Yeah, but all the other modifications mm-hmm. are probably close to under five. Like you're not yeah. too far off. Y- yeah, it was so. like it's something in that price range. Yeah. Like it's like a ten thousand dollar sum of mods that we did over the course of about a year. Right. So okay, that's an overlanding vehicle. We can fit all of our clothes, our cooking equipment, a Dominion board game, formerly a drone. Like, lots of equipment inside of the car, we can live comfortably in it, Mm -hmm. right? And then we drove vast distances in it. This is overlanding. Mm -hmm. On a lot of forums, you see people talking about off-roading as though it is exactly overlanding. Like, that off-roading is exactly overlanding, which I don't think is exactly true. Like, I think that you think about a lot of the same things, but... Off-roading people are modifying their car for like incredibly precise extraction situations and like being able to crawl over rocks and shit where it's like, okay, that's like a really specific thing. You're not really living out of an off-roading vehicle. Right. The focus isn't on uh, like being self-sufficient in wilderness. Absolutely not. No, it's about being able to traverse terrain that shouldn't be possible in a car and you put all the modifications to make it possible. Yeah. Right? One of the key differences, and here's the only place where I'll get a little bit sassy. (laughs) (laughs) When you see pictures of off-roading vehicles, they are often taken in driveways (laughs) (laughs) and in parking lots. You're going to get some notes here, I think. No, because <laughs> you don't live out of them. That's a different thing. They're taking them out for the weekend or for a week or whatever. That's mm-hmm. different than being like, I'm going to live in this for a year. Right. And that's why I feel like when you see overlanding vehicles that are closer to what I would call like true overlanding, traveling overland for extended periods of time, they'll often be in lots of different places because you're taking the car in all these different places. You're not going from one central location that is your home out to lots of other places as often as you are like just making a huge route. Yeah. I'm not going to disagree with your distinction. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that the distinction, it really comes down to what kind of equipment you bought. Yeah. It's, it's a question of whether you're optimizing for capability mm-hmm. or self-sufficiency. Yeah. And yes. those are two different that is a very goals. succinct way of putting it. And a lot of things overlap. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of gray area. Mm-hmm. But I'd say if you have a refrigerator in your car, maybe that's a sign that you're Ah, oh, that's a really good one. Do you have a refrigerator or you're an overlander? Do you some of the off-roading guys definitely put rooftop tents on their back or mm-hmm. like on the on the back in the, totally. the tailgate area. Well, this is why I thought squares and rectangles were a good comparison. Because mm-hmm. it's like it's not that they are mutually exclusive things at all. There's a huge amount of overlap. Uh, the only thing I take issue with is that I think you can actually overland in a just a, any car. Like if you have a setup 
that works for you. You could have like a Subaru. It doesn't have to be super off-road capable at all. Yeah. Like vans even, like two-wheel drive van mm-hmm. with a low wheelbase, small tires. You could still be an overlander in yeah. that. So yeah, I, I don't want to exclude anyone. And, and it doesn't. it's not a distinction that really matters except for it kind of clouds like the discussion sometimes. Yeah. So like yeah. When we've gone and asked for advice now that we're on the road, I have found myself kind of like prickly to people where I can tell what they do is off-roading. Right. It's just like, well, why wouldn't you carry a winch and a come along and a high lift jack? Because like, I'm not uh, driving over rivers, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you don't have multiple chains and a recovery strap. It's like, no. y- yeah, you, we don't have those things. Yeah. <laughs> so. so on that note, mm-hmm. uh, so it's also time for Adam's self-care pillow fort. Yeah. Maggie, you got a question from the Lydia look. On mm-hmm. Instagram. Mm-hmm. User the Lydia look. At the Lydia look. Uh-huh. Um, she says, hey, guys, my boyfriend and I have been talking about doing a trip like yours for a really long time now. I was super excited to listen to your podcast, especially when I found out that Adam was diabetic because so am I. I was wondering if you guys had any advice for diabetics on the road. I was also wondering if you had a year's worth of supplies and insulin in shadow or if you've been getting them as you go. I'm still a few episodes behind. It's okay. We forgive you. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a kind of a technical challenge, too. Um, that's one of the reasons we have... <laughs> your self-care pillow for is still <laughs> a technical corner. find a way to make this into a technical <laughs> corner. Um, the hardest thing is, obviously, insulin's supposed to stay cold. But really what that means is insulin needs to not get hot. And I'm sure Lydia knows this. But in general, just for people that are following along... And not diabetic, which and is not most diabetic, of us. Right. <laughs> A vast majority of everyone else. Um, yeah, insulin needs to be, they say it needs to be in the refrigerator. Really, it just needs to not get like 69 degrees. Like you can't get too hot. Um, so the refrigerator is good because the car can get hot sometimes. Uh, one surprising challenge for this kind of trip is actually the too hot isn't really, wasn't, I guess it was pretty likely when we were in Colombia, but mm-hmm. a big problem to consider also is too cold. So you keep something in a refrigerator, and the refrigerator is set to be 34 degrees or 37 degrees, somewhere in that range. Um, When it's freezing out, when it gets down to like 20 degrees overnight, there is a chance of the insulin freezing. And that's also going to destroy the insulin or at least make it a lot less potent. Yeah. So, or, you know, potentially crack the vials it's stored in, et cetera. Yeah. So that was one challenge that surprised me. And Mm -hmm. the way I address that is by being very careful with my insulin stash and bringing it up into the tent sometimes when we were staying in very, very cold places. Um, Speaking of my insulin stash, to address the second part of the question, yeah, yeah, I brought a year's supply of insulin. I, as a diabetic, uh, don't need that much. My base dose isn't very big. So when I get a prescription filled for Lantus, which is the long-acting insulin, it lasts me a long time. So really, like, we knew we were going to go on this trip for, like, two years before we left. I would just keep filling my prescriptions as normal, but always have, like, 80% of that month's supply left to carry over into the next yeah. month. So I actually have some stored at home, I think, in my sister's house still. Yeah. Jenny's got it for me. Um, so that part hasn't been too hard. I brought a ton of it, though. Yeah. And then one other tip for traveling is the Frio packs are great. They're these little gel packs, and the way that they keep your insulin cool enough is by evaporation. So you make these gel packs soft and watery, and then it takes about a week for them to evaporate, and that's actually enough to keep them in safe temperature zone. 
And we'll put the link to those uh, so that you can buy them if you yeah. so need for your adventure I in just, our show notes. I buy them on Amazon. It doesn't take very much effort, and they're very easy. And you can reuse them like three or four times, like three or, three or four different weeks of trips. Mm-hmm. They, they just dry out if you don't fill them up, and you just refresh them by submerging them in water. If you're a diabetic and you don't know about Frio, Definitely check those out. Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing to have even just for a shorter road trip. It used to be that you would, if you're going to travel as a diabetic, you'd bring like a little freezer and a freezer pack, like in a little cooler. Yeah, Yeah, no, this is, they're just like little flexible packets that sheathe your insulin. And I, yeah, I use insulin pens. Um, I also brought a big, huge supply of test strips. Mm -hmm. Those I needed to get uh, filled in advance, like a special authorization to get like a six month supply. But Uh, all. You have spent so much time on the phone with that. Uh, no, oh, that's my Dexcom. Oh, yeah. I also have Dexcom, which is a continuous glucose monitor. And I got a pre-authorization for that also. But, yeah, it was a huge nightmare of a lot yeah. of phone calls and follow-up to get it processed. Yeah. But yeah. That's how I do it. Yeah. And Would work for sailors as well, That some of these solutions. Yeah. When we first started doing this podcast, someone reached out because uh, they were planning, like, a boat trip. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, the other thing... That that we talked about at one, one point is actually my recovery sugar. Like if you take too much insulin, your blood sugar goes low. Your body doesn't have a way to regulate that as a diabetic. My recovery thing is a Lara bar. Um, mm-hmm. And Lara bars I love because they're a very known quantity. And when they ran out, um, I really missed them. It was a lot harder to find yeah. the same kind of sugar. Like obviously you can just buy sugar anywhere. Like a candy bar would do it if you have to. But it's it's so variant between the different types of things that you might get as a snack that I missed having those Lara bars. That was a surprising thing. Sidebar. One time, Adam accidentally took his long-acting insulin. Oh, no. Or, sorry, which one was it? Yeah. I, you I, took the dose that you would take for your long-acting dis- insulin, but you took it of the short-acting insulin. So you have there's insulin that, that processes over, like, 24 hours, mm-hmm. meant to be, like, a baseline to keep yeah. you... And then you, when you eat something, like after a meal, you're supposed to take short-acting insulin. That takes only like an hour to do its full effect. Yeah. So uh, it's like a much more violent dose. Yeah. And one, I did the nightmare thing that like every diabetic, I hear like everyone does this some point in their life. They <laughs> accidentally take a huge dose of the short-acting insulin. And I had to eat like seven Snickers. Well, here's the story to though. counteract it. <laughs> um, so he takes it and there's a pause and he's looking kind of perturbed. And I was like, what's up? And he's like... I just fucked up. <laughs> and we were still in Colombia at this point and didn't speak great Spanish like pretty early on in the trip. Um, and I was like, okay, that's fine. We're going to figure this out because he like immediately went online and figured out, you know, I just need to eat like a good amount of sugar right now and I think I'm going to be fine. And I was like, okay, I'll go downstairs. I got a bunch of juice, like told the people downstairs what was going on. Like, can I please have a big carafe of juice? They're like, no problem. Here's some sugar packets. Have at it. So I bring it back upstairs and I was like, I don't think this is going to be enough. Can you go just go buy some like sugar from like the corner store? There's a corner store right over there. Just go over there. And I was like, okay. So their corner store culture is really weird to me because it's like really casual. There's no lines, but there were a bunch of people there. And it wasn't clear when it was like appropriate to like elbow your way up to the front and then like ask for all the things you want. But then you have to ask for everything that you want, like point and ask. Um and I was buying just like a shit ton of candy and ice cream. And <laughs> I don't know what this probably totally well-meaning older guy said when he saw what I was buying. He's just like another patron there. But he and the guy who was helping me started laughing. <laughs> and I, 
was like really stressed and just trying to hold it together and I just lost it. And I was like, this is not a joke. My husband is very sick. He took too much insulin and I like took it and ran. <laughs> <laughs> well, I paid for it. Anyway. Oh yeah, that would uh, be even more impressive. <laughs> anyway, and then Adam was totally fine. But the next day we had to walk by the store and I was like, we need to cross the street. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want them to see me again. Yeah, I was totally fine and I got to eat like eight Snickers bars, which are my favorite. Yeah, and, and I got to eat some of the Snickers bars too. I didn't need them. It was just for my feelings. But <laughs> if that ever does happen to you, I just a note, like I kept a spreadsheet and counted exactly how many carbohydrates all those things were. I wasn't just guessing. Mm-hmm. And I was able to basically keep myself level. But if you take an extremely large dose, you are supposed to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it was a judgment call at the time. I was like, okay, this is within the realm. Like, I from what I looked up, it's like this is within the realm that I can control this with my normal body sugar release. Because yeah. the insulin still takes about an hour before it kicks in, and usually sugar that you eat in your body starts hitting your bloodstream in less than twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. So I was able to buffer it and work it out. But yeah. it is, it can be a potentially really dangerous situation. This is not medical advice. Yeah, this is not <laughs> medical <laughs> advice. Um, so Maggie, we are in Argentina. Oh, you're going to do a meat counter? Adam's meat counter is oh, back. <laughs> It'll be a really quick one. Yeah, we have 30 seconds. They have different names for the different cuts here in Argentina, and we've talked about a few of them. Um, but the basic one, like I, I, I'd call it the Mario of the cuts, referring to like Mario Kart, who's like kind of middle of the road in all of the attributes. And also Mario 2, where he would mm-hmm. jump normally, where Luigi does this crazy squirrely jump, and, and Princess Peach would float. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Mar- uh, the Mario of cuts is bife de chorizo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like the meat. It sound it tastes like the meat from like a T-bone steak in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and without the bone. Um, but the, it's good meat. It's got a little gristle, a little bit of fat, and it's a little bit you know marbled. It's interesting. Um, yeah, that's a good starting point if you're not really sure what you want to try when you're entry here. point to Argentinian yeah. steak cuts. Start with the Mario in okay. all things. Cool. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 can we do the three Bs? Yes, the three Bs. Now, what does that mean? The Bs. The beautiful, the brutal, and the bizarre. And usually, when we do these, they're just for the last week. Mm-hmm. But in our country roundup episodes, we like to make the three Bs span the entire time in the country. Exactly. And it's a little hard because we were in and out and in and out, and it, it kind of has gotten mixed so much with Argentina. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we've got some pretty good picks. Yeah. So. My choice for beautiful mm-hmm. is Torres del Paine, but specifically the way the sun hits the water during the day and the reflections that it creates are so beautiful and everything is just so tranquil and it's so clean. Yeah. And so I would say Torres del Paine. There are a lot of lakes in Torres del Paine and Patagonia in general that are mm-hmm. different colors mm-hmm. depending on the angle of the sun during the day. Um, yeah, it's really beautiful. Really like opalescent colors and yeah, it's, it's nice. What's your choice for beautiful? Also Torres del Paine, but I had one particular moment that just struck me as very, very beautiful and has stuck with me throughout the rest of the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, we were camping in the park, Torres del Paine at Eco Camp, and I was out at night, one of the nights, and it was completely clear. Mm-hmm. The moon was out behind me, so everything was backlit, and in front of me were the peaks, the towers of Torres del Paine, the Torres. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like a really striking scene with like the the gray of the towers 
being lit by the moon, being surrounded by the forests and seeing like our little tent camp thing that we are in, little yeah. geodesic dome. It was a, and like no one was out. It was very cold. I could see my breath, but it was like very white and gray and crisp. It was very beautiful with all the stars and such. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. my pick. All right. Maggie, mm-hmm. what would your pick be for brutal? The most brutal thing about our time in yeah. Chile. I mean, it's sort of hard to say because Chile has the best and strongest amenities of basically all the countries we've been to so far. Um, so, like, a lot of the brutals that they've been in the past, like, we weren't in any situations driving like we were in Peru and we got stuck or, like, any of the kind of, you know, 100% of the roads, basically, except for some of the ones in Patagonia are paved. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess because of that, because I know that it's so amenity rich, I will say buildings that are not built for the cold in the cold of Patagonia is my brutal. Well, yeah. I mean, we were here. It's still, I guess, technically fall, but it's a pretty serious winter down here. So mm-hmm. this is this is cold fall. Yeah. Um, and we were in like the southernmost part not too long ago. And there are just a lot of buildings that aren't built to hold heat. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say... It's brutal sleeping in those places because even when you're inside, you have to dress like you're camping. Yeah, when we were at uh, what was it, Cerro Castillo, the mm-hmm. the city next to that, or the little little village next to it. Yeah, we were in this little cabin, and it had a wood f- stove, but it burned out halfway through the night, obviously. And the first night, we were both very cold under like ten blankets. And the second yeah. night, I just knew, you know what, I'm just gonna sleep in my sleeping bag. <laughs> that was like a really we're good in a tent. And I was way more comfortable. It's just no, like it was great. I did a sleeping bag underneath the quilt, and I felt great. Yeah, yeah. So that's my brutal. What's your brutal? Um, border crossing, I guess. Uh, because of yeah. the way Chile and Argentina are laid out, you just have to cross the border a lot when you're in this kind of trip. Uh, I think overall, I, we should figure it out. We could look at our passports. Overall, it resulted in like 16 or 20 stamps in our passports. Um, yeah. And it's just a lot of like uncertainty. Like you never know how long a border crossing is going to take. You never know if they're going to take all your food. There are a couple times that we had food that we didn't want to lose and we placed in different parts of our car. You did that. I never had anything to do with <laughs> any meat smuggling. Um, <laughs> I would like to disavow myself of we, that. We have an episode titled We Smuggle Meat, Maggie. It doesn't say Adam Smuggles Meat. It should have been called Adam Smuggles Meat. <laughs> um yeah, we did that, and then I read also later, like, this border crossing has dogs that smell for food, so don't try to smuggle food across. And ever since I read that, I was like, okay, I'm not going to mess with this anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's still very stressful, and I didn't really really realize how stressful it was until we crossed into Argentina just now. We're back in San Carlos de Barlaloche, which is like a city we've been to before, mm-hmm. and over a border crossing that we've been to before. And just having crossed our last Chilean-Argentina border has been like a weight off my back. It's true. It's just like a psychic weight. I don't yeah. know why. But no, because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. So that's yeah. my pick. Maggie, mm-hmm. your pick for the most bizarre thing from our time in Chile. Yeah. I won't belabor the point because we talked about it during the episode, the week recap episode that it happened in. But it's still that fucking tourist with his huge lens coming at a mom puma and her baby for photos. Yeah. Just the farther we get away from that, the more bewildering <laughs> it comes becomes to me. Like it just 
why would you think that that was a good idea? Yeah. That was so dumb. I like that your mom made like a Facebook post about it specifically. Like, look at this guy. (laughs) What's he doing? (laughs) Who is this guy? (laughs) She took a picture of him and was like, this idiot. (laughs) (laughs) And I agree. Adam, what's your choice for Bizarre? Um, Oh, it's just a little thing I've noticed. Um, Throughout Chile especially, I guess I might have been able to see this other places, but you'll be driving behind a car. Mm -hmm. Car starts to slow down. And you're like, what's going on? And they put on their hazard lights. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, something's going on. What's yeah. going on? And then they merely just pull off the road to the right yeah. or to the left. <laughs> and it's like pretty consistent. As a means of signaling, left or right, they'll just use their hazard lights to be like, heads up, something's going to happen. <laughs> something's happening. As if there wasn't a specific mechanism on their vehicle to signal <laughs> I'm going to turn to the right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn to the left. Yeah. It's a little bizarre. That's You're a good like, one. It, that's true. I've noticed <laughs> that also. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. So that's a that's, that's a wrap our, up. That's our time in Chile. So Maggie. Yes. We have a special announcement today. Do we not? It's true. We have decided to start a Patreon. Now, we'll explain what's going on with this. Mm-hmm. We're very excited about it. There's Mm -hmm. lots of details forthcoming. Yes. But the main thing that we wanted to say is that this is to sponsor our podcast endeavors. Our podcast and related content. Video endeavors Mm -hmm. and possible future endeavors. Mm -hmm. But what it doesn't pay for is our trip. Exactly. I just would like to be incredibly clear that our adventure is already paid for. Yeah. We have that money and we are not asking anyone to help us with our financials for travel yeah it that's a that's important i think to get out out for me philosophically it's very important like i we are not asking you for money so that we can go on an adventure we're asking for money because we make content and we love doing it and we would like to be able to justify spending more time on it Mm -hmm. and more investment into it yeah and we're like really kind of i don't know we did the youtube video last week Mm -hmm. and we're really ramping up on other stuff and cool new projects and cool new little side things it's true and we're you know we really want to put our back into it so we thought we'd start a patreon and ask you guys to you know pitch in a dollar or two dollars a month but the deal is uh we are gonna we actually today recorded our first bonus episode and we're, we're going to release it today, yeah. actually. And this bonus episode is not strictly a Let's Not Panic episode. It's related to overlanding, but it's also related to relationship stuff. And if I dare say, it was pretty hilarious. Well, we were delighted making it. It was really fun. And it's got much more salacious content than we typically address <laughs> on our normal podcast. You know, we, we kind of wanted to loosen up. We're pretty tight on this show. So <laughs> we wanted to be a little anyway, silly. You so know. <laughs> So uh, if you would like to support us making YouTube videos um, and further projects, potentially even new podcasts, we would love your support on our Patreon. Yeah, that's patreon.com slash let's not panic. And you can pitch in really whatever amount you want. We have some prize tiers on there, Mm -hmm. et cetera. There's lots of cool things. Mm -hmm. But the goals we made in specific are a goal for making one YouTube video a month, Mm -hmm. two YouTube videos a month, Mm -hmm. and then a a stretch goal of creating like a a bonus episode every month. Mm -hmm. We've created the first bonus episode, but we want to keep going with it and, and growing. And, you know, this is just really 
we love making this stuff for you and we, it does take a lot of time, mm-hmm. but yeah, after we want to be able to justify it. Yeah. You know? After making that first YouTube video was the tipping point for me for being willing to set up a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, it takes a lot of time, but also we got like a really great reaction. You guys mm-hmm. really appreciated it. And it really meant a lot to us. Um, and so we want to find a way to just keep making stuff like this. And totally. And I promise to look like less of a hostage in future <laughs> videos. That was the best comment on YouTube. Yeah. Someone's like, Maggie looks like she's being held hostage. <laughs> Which, first of all, true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, if you guys can uh, check out the Patreon and, mm-hmm. and let us know. It would warm our cold, cold, cold little hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in one of the tiers, Adam will kiss you on the mouth. I didn't run that by Adam. <laughs> anyway, you can also follow us on Instagram at Let's Not Panic. Yes, indeed. And you can subscribe to us and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. This is what it sounds like where we are.